Christchurch, New Malden, 24th of November 2019, 6.30 service. Janet Miles speaking in the series, Transformed by God's Love, A Crippled Woman. Stephen has said um, my job this evening is to talk um, about um, transformation, uh, the transformation of God's love. What does that mean in our lives? What does that mean for us today in New Malden? And we're going to be looking at Luke 13 and the story of the healing of the crippled woman and asking, what did it mean for this lady, this woman, um, to be transformed by her encounter with Jesus? And as we go through the passage this evening, I invite you all to explore with me the passage and just think about what it might cause us to think about in terms of what in our lives may want to be transformed. So first of all, I want you to think uh, about Italy and I want you to think about a beautiful lake called Lake Garda. Has anyone ever been to Lake Garda in Italy? A few people, good. It's a lovely, lovely place if you get the opportunity to go and haven't yet been, I recommend it, it's amazing. Um, I've been a couple of times in my life, but one of the times I went was um, when I was training to do a long distance run with another friend of mine. And actually, uh, I think it's normally about October time in Lake Garda and probably other points in the year as well. You can do a run around Lake Garda, not the whole thing, because it would probably take, you know, quite a while. But they do different distance runs. And so me and my friend who were training for this long distance run decided to do it. And my husband also decided to get involved. My husband's quite an all-or-nothing kind of guy, and um, he was most enthused about the thought of running with us um, for late, for, around Lake Garda, and the whole idea of then stopping and having pasta at the end, and we were all quite excited, so off we went on our trip, and it was all going to be great. And we did have an amazing time, except for, for my poor husband, halfway through the run um, around Lake Garda, he felt something ping in his leg, because he hadn't actually done really any training whatsoever. <laughs> You know, it's not a problem, it's not a problem. Got round the, the run, and I think it was about 14k, so it was, you know, not a small distance, but not, you know, it wasn't a marathon either. But he certainly felt something go. Got to the end of the race, we got to the pasta party, had all that. He got on the boat to go, go home, back to the hotel that we were all, lit, all staying in. And we all got off the boat, and then we suddenly looked around and we thought, hang on, where's Andrew, my husband? And he was like this on the boat trying to make his way to the gangway and we suddenly realized that what had pinged in his leg had suddenly quite quickly seized up all the more whilst on the boat and had really started to restrict his movement quite significantly to the point that actually we he started to do this slightly weird kind of chicken thing with his arms every time he took a step because he was in such agony And so we managed to get him off the boat and then we kind of had to quite quickly work out, well, how are we going to support his mobility given that he'd just done this really quite drastic thing to his leg? Luckily, my friend's husband that that we were training with is an osteopath, so we were with good people and in in good company and she was able to patch him up a little bit. But essentially, for the the, the few days after that trip and whilst for the remainder of our stay when we were looking forward to going sightseeing around Lake Garda, poor Andrew, the only way that he could get around, and I do have a picture, he'll probably kill me for showing you this, (laughs) but the only way he could get around was by using this chair um, and it was quite slow moving. So if we went out for our evening meal, we took the chair. The hotel were very kind. They said, have the chair for the rest of the stay. So we literally just went round Lake Garda with the chair and poor old Andrew. So, you know, the, the long and the short of it was that he's absolutely fine and he's completely active and, and all, all is well. 
but it was quite a lesson for us in how quite quickly life can change um, quite quickly with, with the physical um, uh, injury and something can completely change life. And when we were sort of going around with this chair, we, re we recognised actually how restricted his movement and the day became, because rather than thinking, oh, right, we're going a cable car off up to the top of the mountain today, well, no, actually we couldn't because we were needing to stay put at the hotel for most of the day and drink a lot of coffee. So, you know, it was a, a little insight, and he is completely fine, but it was a bit of a lesson. When we think about that sort of slightly comedy story that, you know, we can laugh about the chair, but actually when we cast into Luke 13 and we see this woman and we meet this woman um, with Jesus in this passage and we recognise that actually for this woman, she's not just had a sort of momentary ping in her leg during a, a run because she hadn't trained enough uh, around Lake Garda. Actually, this woman has been um, restricted um, and experiencing um, a physical challenge in her life for not just a few days or weeks, but actually an ongoing period of time of up to 18 years. <clears throat> and um, I think it just really opens up even more this idea of actually what it must mean to be so restricted in your movement and your mobility. Imagine what an imposition that is and was to her daily freedom to be literally bent over in half. And the passage says that she had been crippled by a spirit. And we don't necessarily know what that would have meant in the culture of the day. Um, it could have just been a word that was used and selected because there wasn't a word medically to describe her condition. It may have been chosen as a way of describing illness and physical weakness. It might have been that she'd actually had an accident at some point in her life at an earlier age. Or it could have been the effects of mental and emotional trauma exhibiting in physical form. But whatever is meant by the word spirit, the Gospel account describes her as a woman that has been kept bound, and kept bound by, it actually uses the word Satan, but she has been kept bound and she has not um, huge freedom in her movement. Now, however we interpret this, we can recognise that this woman would have had immense difficulty and discomfort through living with such a condition every day. Just imagine for a moment how limiting and super hard it would be to have to navigate the world around her, to go about her everyday life. What would her perspective have been? Would she have come into a room like this and essentially just been um, restricted to looking at people's feet all day? or walking around seeing the floor and not much else? What would her experience of community be in that particular situation? And yet here she is, present in the synagogue on the Sabbath, a day viewed as holy by Israel and codified by religious law and ceremony, and she meets Jesus. And she experiences a decisive and transformational healing. The scripture says, she was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. So what does her healing tell us about the transformational love of God? There are some very specific words and images that spring to mind when you read the passage of Luke 13. All sorts of words and adjectives describe the moment of that encounter. A few really 
um, sung out to me. This idea of Jesus seeing her, seeing her situation. This phrase that he that it uses within the passage, it says that Jesus calls her forward. He doesn't want to just stay where she is in her situation. He is interested in her and he calls her forward. And it goes on that as he, as he has healed her, he has set her free. He speaks to her. He touches her. He changes her situation in a very particular and a very personal way. And we see and we learn in this moment that Jesus' transformational love is caring and it's compassionate. He notices the people around him and he wants to get into the heart of their lives and what is affecting them. And he goes absolutely mad at the hypocritical religious leaders that seem to be placing religious rules and restrictions over the more important and significant thing of the healing and the transformation of this individual's life. And he says, well, you know, you would happily untie your oxen and your donkeys on the Sabbath and take them and lead them to water. So why is it that you can't understand that it's so much more important that this woman is set free, is liberated? That surely on the Sabbath is way more a higher priority. As you think about this woman, what feelings and thoughts emerge for you? What does her encounter with Jesus represent to you? Some of you may be thinking of someone you know that lives each day with physical challenge. <clears throat> Some of you may know someone whose everyday life has lived with a 24-7 extra set of considerations to manage alongside their usual responsibilities of life. Perhaps you can personally identify with her. You know what it is to live with a physical ailment or challenge to manage with your mobility, or perhaps it's not so, so um, visible, maybe it's more an invisible um, condition that um, maybe others aren't aware of. But you know and you identify with what it feels to feel restricted and to be bound and to find that difficult. Or perhaps the woman, as you think about her tonight, may represent something more figurative and symbolic to you. Perhaps when we think of this woman, we would consider an area of our own lives and our own spirituality that just feel too restricted, bent out of shape to ever be different. We can't possibly imagine that part of our lives being different. We have a sense of living with some form of burden, and that maybe has been the case for many, many years. And it feels debilitating, with no let-up in sight for a long time. Maybe that's something that you can call to mind. Now, the things that we call to mind may all have been different. And that may also be the case when it comes to our experience and our expectations of healing. There doesn't seem to be always a rhyme or a reason to when God heals or how he heals. And from this passage, we see that this transformational God, though, is in the business of getting to the heart of people's lives and of bringing freedom. At times, when we know that God has um, been involved in healing in somebody's life, we know that sometimes that does manifest in a physical way. But in other times, maybe it's something of a, a course and a journey for a long time, over many years, of emotional healing and spiritual healing. Um, but, but it could look different for, for all people. But I think one of the things that is so, so key within this passage is that 
like the woman in the passage, no matter what it is that's kind of that we identify with in the, in the, the story of the crippled woman, it's this sense that actually we are all invited in a very personal and particular way by Jesus. Jesus does want to get involved in our lives and to touch our lives and to change our lives. So as we consider this passage tonight, I invite you to just um, trust that God is a God that wants to call us all forwards in very particular and personal ways. Things that perhaps you feel are bringing you low and feel out of shape, I encourage you maybe just in your own way, perhaps this week, just think of different ways that you might be able to pray and respond and trust that God is wanting to transform and reshape those things that may feel that they need straightening out. So that's just one thought that I want to leave um, with us, um, with you tonight. So the next thought from this passage. <clears throat> Um, a few years ago, I don't know where, whether many of you saw it, but there was a really fascinating programme on TV, and it was all about the discovery of um, the bones of King Richard III. Stephen will probably know all about this and has probably got the box set because you're into your history in a big way and it's a good thing. But Richard III, my Wikipedia search says, um, he ruled England from 1483 to 1485. He died in the Battle of Bosworth in 1485. And basically, his body was really hastily buried and dug up, dug, just dug somewhere. Um, and it just so happened that it ended up being, in this day and age, um, that his um, rediscovered bones were under a city council parking lot in Leicester. So, you know, that's rather glorious for, for the King of England. Um, but that's what happened. And the TV show took the viewers on this really um, inspiring and, in, and really interesting journey of the woman that was involved in like, excavating the bones. And one of the things that she'd theorised about the whereabouts of this supposed skeleton, because obviously it's a bit awkward to say, can we dig up the, the council car park, isn't it? It's a bit awkward. Um, but one of the things that, um, that they um, used to kind of, like, sort of, I guess, give the, the, her theory plausibility was that this kind of, one of the things they were looking for was this kind of huge curvature of the spine that was supposed to be kind of associated with Richard III. And this popular image of King Richard III came from Shakespeare, who described him in a, in a 1593 play as a poisonous hunchback toad. So he's obviously known in history for this kind of curvature of the spine. And they weren't sure if it would be true or not, but sure enough, once they kind of got the permission to dig up the council car park, they did in, find, in fact find a skeleton that had this huge curvature of the spine. And through further testing, they did identify it, um, that it would have been the bones of Richard III. And you can now go to Leicester, if you would like to, um, to find out more about that story. And I think it is fascinating. Why am I saying about Richard III and his curvature of the spine? I suppose because when I thought about it, I thought, gosh, what must it have been that this character in history was caricatured in such a way and stigmatised in such a way because of such a deformity of his spine? Throughout history, he's somehow associated with this kind of um, disability that he was living with. Imagine then what it would have been like for this woman of Israel at the time of Jesus and in the society of the day. She had been crippled for 18 years. And as a result, in the culture of the time, she was visibly marked and probably therefore labelled in her community due to her defined and different stature. 
And yet, conversely, how hidden would she have felt as a result? We know that in the time of Jesus, the society of the day for, for women would have, you know, women would have been seen as kind of third-class citizens, really. And further, often any form of disability or illness would have been given a wide berth. She would no doubt have felt physically labelled and yet ostracised and excluded from her community. How easy would it have been to walk past this woman or perhaps to not even bother seeing her at all? to feel so awkward about her situation and so ill-equipped to engage with her that she is ignored, to see her physical status as different and therefore somehow alien, and to not even bother understanding her world or who she is or what mattered to her because she was perceived as different. She may well have felt so invisible and hidden and unable to participate in freedom. And yet, what does Jesus do? in this encounter. Yes, he does heal her. He does um, choose to do that. But for me, I think in this passage, something far more significant seems to be going on. As he heals her and the religious leaders kick off about him healing on the Sabbath and breaking the rules, he reminds them and asserts that she is a daughter of Abraham. This woman this ostracized and physically restricted individual is now walking tall and is named as a daughter, a member in the line of Abraham, inheritor of the promises of old and part of God's covenant community. She is a friend of Jesus. She is welcomed, she is valued, and she has a part to play in the worshiping community of God. And it says um, in, in the passage that when she has um, been um, healed, that she goes and she worships God. He put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. She participates because she is a recognised member of God's community. Jesus is making a massively important statement to the religious authorities who are indignant because she has been healed on the Sabbath. Jesus is saying something so important about her belonging and her status in the kingdom of God. This encounter shows this, that Jesus is announcing that all people are called. There are no boundaries or limitations. No one person is somehow off limits or not good enough or not shiny enough to be part of God's kingdom. Jesus goes to the heart of all of us and he is not concerned about the boundaries of our physical form or the boundaries of the social structures that get placed around us today or around that woman in the synagogue. Jesus calls and welcomes all. And when we read through the Gospels, we see that Jesus time and time again, he encounters all sorts of different people in all sorts of different walks of life and part of the society of the time. But disabled people are very much at the heart of his ministry and he spent time with them. And often in his day, lots of the things that would have seemed sort of culturally taboo about what he did, he, 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 he did loads of and he challenged and it was things like defying um, cultural attitudes by touching lepers, breaking religious regulations by healing on the Sabbath or even defiling himself by touching a dead body. Jesus was just not into kind of playing by the rules or playing and living within the boundaries that everybody wanted to set. 
He wanted to challenge that and turn it upon its head. And that's why he gets so mad at the religious leaders and calls them hypocrites when they're trying to complain about healing a woman on the Sabbath. He's saying, don't you get it? I am the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath day is where the present age and the age that is to come are united and the restoration of God may be known. It's made possible through me. The Sabbath isn't about religious codes. It's not about restrictions. It's about liberation and belonging and celebration of the purposes of God, and it's happening right here, right now, in your midst. I wonder what challenges that places on us in our attitudes and our understanding of people that we perceive differently to us. I wonder what challenges that places on us in our attitudes and understanding of disability as well and our response as the church. You see, it would be so easy and I think incredibly dangerous to come to this passage and conclude that the healing of the crippled woman shows us that we have to pray for disability to be healed. And I have seen in my time, and I'm sure we all have, many offences by the church and abuses by the church to the disability community because of this frightening attitude. And whilst physical and transformational healing is certainly always possible with God, and he heals people in all sorts of ways, in my view, this is not the message we should be taking from this chapter in a, in a sort of easy, easy way. Instead, I think this chapter is bringing us a challenge, the church a challenge, our communities a challenge, about invitation and how well we are creating a place of welcome, belonging and participation for others. Because how many people in our society and in our churches, like the woman in Luke 13, feel hidden, feel excluded, feel alienated? How many people feel that they can't bring their gifts or be seen for the person that they are? How many people, for instance, live with mental illness and yet feel the pressure to keep anxiety hidden or trauma buried or depression glossed over and unvoiced for fear of not being accepted? How many disabled people have felt alienated by the church or unable to attend because their way of speech may be different? or their control of their muscles and ability to sit in a pew is more restricted. Their learning styles and communication methods are more creative and varied, and perhaps unable to find expression in meetings too focused on words like me, and talking like me, and PowerPoint presentations like me. And worse, how many disabled people have experienced and badly judged and inappropriate offers to pray for their condition or heal somebody's self-projected um, perceived needs on them without any understanding of who they are and their identity or their story. One of my roles um, in, um, in, in doing a new job now, but my job before, I worked um, in the charity sector for a, a disability charity. And through my time at the charity, I learned so many things and I met some really wonderful, amazing people, all of which um, their life was impacted by disability in some way, all sorts of different ways. And I came to realize that actually disability is defined in so many different ways. I met some people who saw their disability as being defined medically, 
It is about their health and their physical condition, living with some form of impairment and having to manage life with this condition. And that is true. That is part of disability. I also met people that saw disability as less about them and who, how it defined them, but more socially and how actually disability is quite often not about somehow a deficiency in somebody, but actually it's the deficiency in society to be able to respond to the needs of that person and that unique individual. That actually disability is often meaning that it's the barriers that we put in the way of others that creates gaps and means that people find it difficult to take part. But in every case of the people that I met, just like any of us, all people wanted to be able to do is have a completely unique space to be able to share their story, to be able to bring their gifts, to be able to bring their contribution to the community. And yet they were so often isolated and unable to do this. When I look at this passage in Luke 13, the challenge isn't about um, if we see a person that is um, living with disability, that they need to be healed or somehow fixed or made more bodily acceptable. Healing is instead about salvation, about restoration, about being invited to participate fully as we are in the community of God. God touches the woman and she goes off and she worships. She is restored and enabled to participate within community because she is called by name. So how are we going to recognise the gifts and contributions of others in our community and enable them to share their voice? The final things that I want to just share quickly is um, to tell you a little bit about um, a description of God that uh, a man called Henry uh, Nowen um, shared and Henry Nowen, um, you probably, many, many of you probably know, um, was a Christian writer and academic, and he also spent a lot of his life living um, with people um, in, um, that lived with disability in some respects. And he described God as being a God that is a wounded healer. And I really find that description really, really helpful, because I think that when we think about God and the kind of need to be transformed by God, it would be so easy for us to think, oh, yeah, I've got to get my life together, I've got to get everything in a good place, I've got to just be like this perfect individual and kind of have it all tickety-boo and all singing and all dancing. And actually, when we look at Jesus and when we read the accounts of his life and what happened and his, the suffering and the death and the story of his resurrection, we don't see this kind of superhero, uh, sort of strong man competition kind of character that somehow has kind of just got it all sorted out. Actually, Jesus' body was broken. Jesus' body marked the wounds of his death and resurrection. And Henry Nguyen called them, the, 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 this kind of had this description of God as the wounded healer. And like the crippled woman, his body has been broken and deformed and, and in some ways disabled. And his resurrection body bears the marks and the wounds of this death. When he appears to Doubting Thomas, do you remember in the resurrection accounts, Doubting Thomas says something like, well, unless I can touch the wounds and, and see the marks on his body, I will not believe. And the resurrected Jesus doesn't come through all like, you know, like a Timothy advert, all glossy and shiny. Jesus bears the marks of those wounds and the, the brokenness of those things and those experiences 
The transformational love of God is about a God that identifies with us in every single way. And he calls us forward like the crippled woman and he calls us sons and daughters of Abraham. In closing, I'm going to um, invite us just, um, if you wouldn't mind sparing just a few more minutes, because I realise I've spoken for 28 minutes, so sorry about that. Um, but um, I'm going to leave you um, with a film tonight. It's just a very short clip. But when um, I mentioned I work for this um, disability charity, one of the things we did one year was um, we uh, invited um, a young teenager called Becky Tyler to share her challenging story at um, a, a Christian festival called Greenbelt. And um, I don't know if you've ever been to Greenbelt, there's all sorts of um, activities and amazing programmes that go on, but on the Sunday, everybody comes together, all ages, um, and every single person at the event comes together for a, a kind of a big communion service. And Becky Tyler was invited to share her story. Now, Becky um, has cerebral palsy, and that came about in her life due to a complication at her birth in which she was starved of oxygen. And the umbilical cord had been wrapped around her neck and she was um, starved of oxygen. So now she um, is a wheelchair user and she has quite limited movement and she speaks communicating with the um, kind of support of eye gaze technology and she uses her eyes to control the technology to, to share her story. Um, and at the age of 10, she asked her mother to find out a little bit more about what had happened to her at birth and why was she, as she says, why was she different to other people in her class? And actually through a sort of a bit of an, a process of investigation with the, the hospital that they'd, um, um, at which they'd birthed Becky, they found that actually the hospital did start to admit that they had made some mistakes and some errors. And, and, and actually fortuitously, um, she, they had a massive legal case and she has actually um, been compensated um, for, for, for what happened in, in her life. Why am I telling you all this? Well, really, I'm going to shut up so that Becky can speak for herself. But it would, I guess I wanted to share it because I think it would be easy to meet Becky or to walk past her uh, in the street or not really know much about her story or her situation. It would be easy to see her at first glance and just see a wheelchair or restricted movement or think that she can't actually understand or communicate. But we would be so wrong if we thought that because that is not the case at all. And so as we um, finish um, this evening, I'm just going to hand over to Becky, who's going to share her story. And I just hope that it will um, demonstrate that actually everybody has the gift and the, um, the uh, things, important things to contribute um, to the community around us. And um, Becky's life has a deep and impactful presence. And she shares and witnesses to the person of God in her life in a powerful way. And so I wanted to leave that with you this evening.